Hello and welcome to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida and Marion, Massachusetts, hosted by Ed Shanafee, USPTA professional and international businessman. This is the podcast that researches and looks at the club management and facility side of our business. Hi, I'm Ed Shanafee, and thank you for joining the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. This week, we are really fortunate to have a very good friend of mine, an old friend of mine, but also a a highly acclaimed uh, publisher in the tennis world, Randy Walker. Randy's a sports marketing specialist, and he's a managing partner for New Chapter Media. Uh, It's a publishing company, publishes really sports books. He is a 12-year veteran of the U.S. Tennis Association's Marketing and Communications Division, where he actually served as the press officers for the U.S. Davis Cup teams, the U.S. Olympic teams, and also for the U.S. Open. Some of his current clients uh, for promotional and PR include the Invesco Series Tennis Circuit and the Marty Fish Children's Foundation Tennis Championships, which is what we're going to talk about today here in Vero Beach. He is the tournament director for the Marty Fish Children's Foundation, and he's also the tournament director for the nascent U.S. Grass Court Championships in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, before we welcome Randy, the show notes will have all his uh, contact details, so please reach out to Randy if you so want to. And um, also in the show notes will be some information on the tournament here that is coming up in April for the, the Marty Fish Foundation, and all those details will be in the show notes. But right now, without further ado, let's talk to Randy Walker. Hi folks, this is Ed Shanafee with Beyond the Baselines podcast. I'm sitting here with Randy Walker who is about to embark on his annual uh, show of the Marty Fish uh, Foundation Tournament. Uh, Randy and I have known each other since we were tiny tots. Growing up in New Canaan, Connecticut, we played tennis as juniors. Uh, Randy went off to play at the University of Georgia and um, has made quite a career in the publishing world. And uh, I'm here with him today to discuss how he actually markets the Marty Fish Foundation, the tournament, and... uh, Talk to him about uh, this USTA tournament that happens here at the Boulevard Tennis Club. Welcome, Randy. Well, thanks so much for having me, Ed. I I will uh, qualify your introduction and that you said that I played at the University of Georgia. Um, I did play at the University of Georgia, but I uh, was actually the um, Rudy of the Georgia tennis team, the Rudy of college tennis. As I'm sure you're all familiar with the uh, Notre Dame football movie, Rudy. Um, but uh, I was the manager of the team and strung rackets and somehow weaseled my way onto the team. And I'm the all-time losingest player <laughs> for the University of Georgia. My record, career record at Georgia during the 88-89 seasons was 0-7. Um, so we are, I'm the complete polar opposite of Michael Pernforce, who plays here in Vero Beach at the Boulevard. Um, so uh, just to qualify that, but uh, hey, listen, if you can be 0-7 at Georgia, uh, you're better than the average player. So That's anyway. great. You were a great player as a junior. I remember we played a lot. We competed, too, uh, up there in New Canaan Racquet Club. So tell me about the Marty Fish Foundation. Uh, you've been working there for, I think, four or five years now. And um, what led you to start working for them? I know you have many other clients, which we'll touch on, but what was it special that brought you to the Marty Fish Foundation? Well, it was uh, August of 1998, and I'm on the tower, the infamous tower at Kalamazoo College for the USTA 
boys 18s and 16s national championships. And I'm there uh, during my uh, time uh, with the USTA working with player development and publicity and so forth. And uh, I remember Darlene Pontello, the PR person for the uh, USTA boys 18s and 16s, came up to me and said, uh, we have a tennis parent who would love to meet you. She heard that there was a publicity person, communications from the USTA. She'd love to meet you. Her name is Sally Fish and her son Marty is there playing in the semifinals. So I met Sally, uh, who was a delight and, and uh, 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 had such energy and passion for tennis and her son and so forth. And she says, gosh, I just can't get the uh, Vero Beach newspaper to write anything about my son. He's you know, one of the top players in the country, and they just won't even write a word about him. You know, could, you, could you help us, et cetera? So, uh, so I started to you know, kind of take uh, uh, the, the, the fish project under my wing. And worked with uh, Marty with publicity, and then fast forward, he's playing Davis Cup and the Olympics and the U.S. Open, and I'm, you know, working with Marty in that capacity. Um, but then shortly thereafter, um, uh, our family bought a condo down here in Vero Beach. Um, so every time I'd come down to Vero Beach, I'd you know see the fishes and so forth. And then um, when um, the uh, tennis, the longtime USTA Pro Circuit event in town that was started by Mike Raleigh, um, he. Uh, 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 didn't have the energy to run the tournament anymore. He was getting up there in age and, you know, just didn't want to see the, the, the tournament go away. So uh, he asked Tom Fish if the Marty Fish Children's Foundation would want to take over running of the tournament. And Tom is the head pro at Windsor and he's got a full-time job and he's buried and he knows how much I wanted to run the tournament or run tournaments and so forth. So he asked me, hey, we have this opportunity. Can you run it for us? So that's kind of how that started. That was in 2016. Um, and, um, you know, the tournament has gotten you know, bigger and better every year. But, you know, certainly we inherited a great foundation that Mike Raleigh had when he created this tournament and ran it since uh, 1995. And what are the goals and objectives of the Marty Fish Foundation? I know it deals with children, but what, what are their exact specific goals and objectives? Well, the, the uh, goals and objectives is to help at-risk children. Um, so, um, you know, Vero Beach is, you know, certainly regarded as a, as a, a, a wealthy part of Florida, but there is a lot of income d- disparity in Vero Beach, and there are a lot of uh, uh, at-risk children um, in town um, who don't have activities to do after school, you know, where they just get in trouble. So, um, you know, like where you and I, you know, growing up in, in um, southwestern Connecticut, where we were able to go to the racket club you know, after school and indoors and do our homework and jump on a court if it was available and so forth. You know, there's there's not a lot of uh, um, there needs to be more of those type of activities in Vero Beach to get kids active and get kids eat, eating healthy and so forth. So um, the foundation was originally started by Marty um, um, as a way to get back and to help kids. And it was mainly tennis focused. But through the years, it's more now in just general overall fitness and getting kids active and getting them away from computers and iPhones and so forth, but also eating healthy and practicing healthy habits, you know, and, and uh, uh, making new friends and sleeping, um, getting enough sleep and uh, drinking water and eat, eating healthy and getting exercise. And it's, and it's so, grown in the community, right? It's gotten bigger in Vero. Has it gone past the, the bounds of Vero? I'm sure it has, but 
Well, it's right now. It's just Indian River County, Indian River County. and I think that uh, you know there was some discussion about it maybe going beyond Indian River County, but Marty is pretty adamant that uh, he wants uh, all the money and the focus to go on the community that gave him so much growing up and um, uh, and gave back to him. So, uh, so it's basically focused just on on Indian River County. Okay, so the tournament is is one of your big is probably your biggest. It's one of the biggest, probably the biggest fundraiser. fundraiser. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you're a tournament director. It's a USPTA sanctioned tournament. USTA ITF World Tennis Tour. Yeah, World Tennis Tour. Sorry, it, uh, you were the tournament director. Now, being a chair umpire in my past, I always saw the tournament director as uh, a chicken with his head cut off, running around, never enough time in a day. Every time I come to the tournament here, you seem very relaxed, very organized. But tell me, I'm what a good goes, actor. <laughs> what goes beyond the scenes, behind the scenes? Uh, as being a tournament director of, of such a of such a big event here on the east coast of Florida, well, I mean, I think the tournament director has a lot of different responsibilities. Um, you know, a lot of it is just putting out fires. And literally, the, the the first year we ran the tournament, literally, I had to put out a fire um, where there was uh, a lightning strike or something happened, and one of the trees in the parking lot was on fire. <laughs> So literally, I'm putting out fires. Um, you know, we also actually that was funny. That first year, uh, we also had a, a, a bee colony. Uh, you know, went to uh, you know uh, populated one of the courts, so we had to deal oh. with that. So there's a lot of different things that go on, but uh, you know, mainly it's you know uh, we want to sell sponsorships, we want to sell tickets. You know, obviously this is a fundraiser. Um, you know, so that's the most important thing is that we raise funds. Um, the, the, the player experience, enhancing the player experience, making sure that they have a comfortable player lounge, which is where we're sitting right now, which is used during the tournament player lounge, having food, having drink, um, uh, making sure that they're comfortable with their start times, with their conditions in the court, um, towels, uh, water, Gatorade, etc. Um, enhancing the fan experience, making sure that the scoreboards are um, working properly and that we have uh, plenty of uh, entertainment that, uh, you know, we do on-court interviews and uh, we have a DJ playing between courts, uh, play, play, playing between changeovers and, um, you know, enhancing the fan experience so then the person who's paying a ticket is feeling like they're not only saying great tennis but they're having a great experience. Um, in, in your notes uh, that I read up before I started talking to you, you talk about making it like a mini U.S. Open. Yeah. And uh, the U.S. Open now is one of the greatest events, uh, you know, on the sporting calendar. You go there, there's a band at every bar, there's entertainment, there's great food. So you're actually trying to mimic that here on a smaller scale for at the boulevard uh, for, for this tournament. Um, as a tournament director, how do you market to different age groups and demographics? Obviously, as a director of tennis like I am, I look at the demographics uh, in terms of age and in terms of playing ability. But you had mentioned something in your notes about varying the times of matches because of certain demographics. Take, take us through that. Right. Well, the first year we had the tournament, I mean, we just were kind of going with what the script was and, you know, what the, the, the USTA tour supervisor told us. And he said, hey, well, let's just start matches at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, so we'd start the matches at 10 o'clock in the morning and there'd be nobody here. And, you know, I would notice that, you know, around 12, you know, people would start, start trickling in. And then at 2 o'clock, people would start trickling in. And then, you know, three o'clock, they started coming. And then, you know, obviously you have after five o'clock, you have, you know, people who are working who can't be here at noon or two, you know, they can only come for the night matches. So what we started to do was um, start the matches later. So we started the matches right at noon. Most people in, in Vero Beach are either working or they're playing tennis 
you know, in the morning in their morning games. So they're not going to be able to come out anyway. So we start our matches at noon and um, then we will have uh, a separate ticket for the night session. So uh, if you want to buy a ticket for the whole day and night, it's $20. If you're working and you can't come until, uh, you know, 5 o'clock, 5.30, we have an after 5 o'clock half price ticket. So you can come watch a match at 5, a match at 6.30, come have a, a cocktail, have a burger, etc. So, um, you know, if you're an, uh, an older person and you don't want to stay out late, you can come here at noon. If you're a working person and uh, you want to um, uh, uh, come, you know, come, 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 come at 5 o'clock, you can come at 5 o'clock, etc. You know, another thing about, about, you know, what's unique about the U.S. Open is it's not just a tennis tournament. It's an event. And it, it really, the, the, sim, the, the way I kind of equate it to, it's kind of like tennis Disney World, where you pay <laughs> a ticket, you pay a price to get into Tennis Disney World, which is the U.S. Open. And it's just like going to, you know, Disney World or Epcot Center, and you can watch a little tennis, you can go on a ride, you can, um, you know, That's get some food. food, you know, go see this site, go to this museum, hang out here. Go watch and, a band. Exactly. And that's how it is at the U.S. Open, where you got, uh, um, you know, you got tennis, you got retail shops, you got, you know, great restaurants, you got drinks, you got a band, you got a place where you can hang out, you got displays and IBM, you know, uh, technology displays and, you know, and so forth. to show you serve. Exactly. So, you know, we're trying to, you know, the, the big thing, the tennis fans know about the tennis tournament. They know, they talk about it and so forth. But how are we going to get that person at Riverside Cafe, who's having a happy hour drink there watching the sunset. How do we get that guy here uh, to, to have their happy hour here for the tennis and support the foundation as opposed to at, you know, Riverside Cafe or, um, you know, Cobalt or, or something? Or even bring someone down from Melbourne and make it a bigger event so that they, it's not just the tennis. It's, now, on the evening matches, obviously, a great, great venue here at the Boulevard. They have lit courts um, how many do you run more matches during the day and then have a few special matches at night? How do you do that? Do you market that differently? Yeah, definitely have to have the night matches. That's something that I'm, uh, you know, a big proponent of is because, uh, you know, that's where you're going to get your your biggest uh, group of fans um, where, uh, uh, you know, you have a uh, we have a five o'clock featured match and we have a not before six forty five featured match. So um, we're able to get those uh, working people here. And the atmosphere is just a little different at night. You know, you have, uh, you know, people are drinking. It's yeah. a little more fun. You know, the music's a little louder with the DJ. A little more rowdy. A little more rowdy. So, you know, as it is at the U.S. US Open, Open, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we kind of like to, 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 to mimic that and to have a, uh, a great, you know, experience, get, you know, people out here for happy hour and have it be more of an entertainment experience where earlier in the day, you know, demographics a little older and uh, it's a little more sedate, um, you know, at that time. So, um, you know, so that we're able to appeal to a broader audience by having those varying match times. And now you just asked me uh, and talked to me about having a pro-am as part of the event. Um, obviously it is a fundraiser. Um, with the pro-ams, how do the pros, how do you approach a pro? You know, he's playing, he's, he's trying to get into the top 200 probably. Um, how do you approach a pro and say, hey, could you do this for the foundation? And what's that conversation like? Well, it's, it's a, actually a pretty easy conversation because, um, you know, you look at the prize money that these players get at these, you know, $15,000 level events, and it's not a lot of prize money. So, you know, these guys are fighting tooth and nail for every dollar they get, and, uh you know, if we can give them an opportunity to make a couple extra bucks, 
you know, playing a hit and giggle for 90 minutes or two hours, they love it, you know, so we pay them a little more than, you know, they get in another, other pro-ams, um, you know, so they're, they're, they're all usually very accommodating, um, you know, to, 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 you know, sacrifice to help out, especially if it's for a foundation. So, um, so yeah, no, usually all all the players are 95% of the players are always willing to spend a couple of, a little more time on the court for a couple extra bucks. Now, in terms of the marketing, because this is what I focus on with the podcast, is how do you market this? Do you do you take out uh, newspaper ads? Do you have print ads? Do you do do posters? Go around to the various clubs. I mean, you can only go so far to the various clubs. But what's your number one marketing? I guess uh, revenue or marketing stream. Like, what would you do? Is it social media? Is it social media stream? Well, my, you know, my my, my marketing philosophy, or maybe I, I read this somewhere, where somebody's going to act on something uh, on it after seeing it an average of eight times. Mm-hmm. So we have to, and 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 this particular market, there's not just one uh, medium that everybody goes to. So um, we try to spread it. Widely, we have a great email list. You know, I think that might be the number one marketing tool that we have. Is we have an email list of, you know, everybody in town that plays tennis. tennis. You know, we inherited some of that list, and then we also Mike you know, was big. Mike Raleigh was big on the email list. Big on and, the emails, but yeah. we, we we send out da- daily emails. We do. I mean, I'm a, a PR guy. I mean, I worked for PR for the USTA, so I send out a lot of press releases. We send a lot of press releases out on our email list. So that's that. That's one. So if you're listening right now and you want to market your club or your tournament and so forth, start collecting email addresses and you know doing raffles or anything to get people's email address so they can opt in to receive uh, updates. So that's a big one. Um, social media is also huge. Um, you know, I run several different uh, 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 Twitter and Facebook profiles. Um, that promote the tournament. It's at Vero Futures. That's the uh, uh, Twitter handle. I also run at uh, Tennis Vero Beach. They have corresponding um, Facebook pages, Marty Fish Children's Foundation Tennis Championships. There's also a separate Facebook uh, for um, the foundation, Marty Fish Children's Foundation. Also my personal um, uh, Facebook uh, page and, and that's something that you can't underestimate because when it's a personal page versus a, a personal page has a lot wider distribution and if you personalize your message on your personal page it just becomes more viral but if it's a corporate page and you post something usually Facebook you know you have to send a, a couple of uh, bucks to Mark Zuckerberg to get that to be a little bit more wider <laughs> so uh, Instagram is also good but you also have to know your audience you know I mean the Vero Beach the demographics a little older so like we're not we don't have a snapchat page or a TikTok page yeah. you know so uh, you Instagram know, is it? Have you, have you noticed Instagram growing in popularity? Instagram is definitely growing, and you know I, I see you know Tom and Sally Fish, uh, you know Marty's parents. They are a lot more active on Instagram uh, than they are on Facebook. So uh, you know Instagram is definitely a market, uh, you know, a, a, a tool that we need to use uh, more often. And we have a you know a, a tournament you know Instagram page, but we kind of let it. Uh, uh, go a little bit and so forth. Tournament posters you mentioned. Yep. You know our our uh, our graphics uh, partners, Minuteman Press here yep. in in uh, Vero Beach. We'll give them a plug. Um, <laughs> they uh, they uh, partner with us and they uh, produce these great posters for us that we put around uh, around town, etc. 
Um, um, you know, we also do a great job uh, with, uh, if I say, should say so myself, um, in publicity, you know, and working with the local paper, um, which is not always easy you know, with, with uh, uh, you know, a futures event or if you're a small event in a big market, you know, if you're in New York City or Los Angeles, you know, they're not going to be covering, you know, futures event. But Vero Beach is a small, intimate town. And, um, you know, we're able to work with the newspaper and, uh, you know, provide them with, you know, photos and, 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 you know, quality content stories and so forth. And I just use my PR skills and, and, and getting that done. So that's, uh, you know, very, uh, very important. And also just events that lead up, you know, I mean, for instance, we have several wild card events that lead into the main draw of the tournament. So it kind of builds some anticipation for the tournament. So the annual King of the Hill tournament. Um, we give the, uh, the the winner and the runner-up a doubles main draw wild card. So every time there's a King of the Hill event, somebody's talking about, well, the winner gets a wild card of the Nordy Fish in April. So you got a lot of conversation and anticipation. Day. And then we also have a main draw singles wild card tournament that we're holding at Sea Oaks. Um, so that also, uh, you know, is some great pre-publicity. And it's at different clubs, too. So we have, you know, King of the Hills at the Moorings. So the, uh, that gets the, the Moorings invested. You get Sea Oaks. Uh, and they have the main draw wild tar tournament, so that's another reason how we can. Um, yeah, King, for the of, for the listeners, King of the Hill is a is a special tournament here in Vero Beach. It it really involves all the teaching pros from probably uh, one of the the busiest in terms of cl- number of clubs towns in Florida. There's probably twelve to fifteen clubs here, and probably fifty teaching pros in town. And King of the Hill started uh, by Gigi Caspo. Uh, years ago, and uh, it, it, in itself, it is a foundation. It gives money to a foundation, but it is a, a very well attended event, and um, and goes here at the Boulevard as well. He has a forties division, fifties uh, division. Somehow, I haven't been in the fifties division yet. I don't know why not yet. And <laughs> playing like a forty, yeah. And then you've got uh, you've got the open division down at the Moorings, which is uh, in process right now. How did you bring what you, as a book publisher, because you, you, you're a well-known tennis publisher uh, of books, how did you bring what you learned in the publishing world to the Marty Fish Foundation? Because I think your background brought in a, it opened up the foundation's viewpoints. You know, you've gone out, as you said, the foundation started out just kind of tennis. Now it's into fitness, it's into health and wellness, it's into sleep uh, deprivation and, and trying to fix that and get your off the computer. How did your publishing side of things and learning those stories about the great players? Um, how did how did how did that help you with the Marty Fish Foundation? Well, you know, it's, what's interesting, I think, with that is, um, you know, even going back farther than publishing, it's basically writing. You know, I, I listened to a great podcast um, called "The School of Greatness" with Lewis Howes, which uh, I certainly recommend everyone uh, listening to if you don't already. And uh, one of the guests he had on, uh, um, um, I can't remember who it was, but they said, "What is the absolute number one skill you can have for success?" And he said, "Writing is being a good writer and being able to put, you know, uh, a sentence together and words together." And uh, you know, I think that's one thing that uh, I'm, you know, very good at. I've written a bunch of books. I edit a bunch of books. I publish a bunch of books. And I'm writing, you know, I'm constantly writing press releases and tweets and Facebook posts. And, uh, you know, you're really able to uh, write effectively. And writing is marketing. You know, I mean, you got to be able to hype things up and, um, you know, put the most important thing first in 
your um, you know, and your lead and your press release and so forth. Don't bury the lead, etc. So you know if you want to promote something that's exciting. So for instance, our um, you know, wildcard tournament. We have Matthew Segura, who is the uh, uh, great nephew of the tennis Hall of Famer Pancho Segura. He's going to be our number one seed at our Sea Oaks qualifier. So we're not writing a press release that says Sea Oaks is once again going to host a wildcard event next week. Blah 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 blah. We're like, we have Matthew Segura, the promising young player, who's the great nephew of the Hall of Famer legend Pancho Segura, is going to be the leading entry into the. Sea Oaks Wild Card Tournament, and that's where you get people excited, and and uh, and um, you know they they can find out what the most important thing is first, and you can you know hype it. So I don't think, bury the lead. Don't bury the lead, exactly. <laughs> and in going back to that, in my marketing days back in, in England, um, I was I was taught by my father, who was a good marketer, is that every everyone and everything has a story, exactly, and that story has to be at the top. To lead the person into reading the rest of your article, or re- reading, leading the rest of, uh, leading them into the article A or the or the advertisement. In our case, um, so marketing is a story, and you create the story. So you've just created a story about Pancho Segura. You create stories with your books. You just handed me a new book that is just out, I guess, recently called "The Pros: The Forgotten Era of Tennis" by Peter Underwood, uh, forward by John Newcomb. Yep, that's right. And available uh, on Amazon.com. <laughs> but obviously. Um, the, the marketing behind the publishing has helped you go into the marketing of the Marty Fish Foundation. What's amazing, and I, I correct me if you don't think this is correct, but the market, no matter what you're marketing, marketing stays pretty constant. It's just the product that changes. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think what you said was 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 perfect. It's it's this, it's it's the it's the story. You know, everybody has a story, and you have to find that story, that human interest story. Um, and and let everybody know about that. I mean, everybody's familiar. A lot of people should be familiar with how the Olympics promote athletes. Where how are you know a person in Des Moines, Iowa, going to get excited about a cross country skier from Finland? Well, you got to tell the story. You know, his you know parents died in a car accident, and you know he trained you know and you know saved up all his pennies, and you know qualified for his last race on by half a second you know you have to you have to do a little research and dig into what the story is you know so for instance when we look at our tournament field for you know our fifteen thousand dollar uh tournament um you know it's not roger federer it's not rafael nadal it's not you know uh serena williams you know in the tournament so you know you get a list of these players who've never heard of and uh you know there have been times where i've emailed tom fish you know, the co-tournament director for the tournament. And I've said, here's our field. You know, we don't really have, you know, just at first glance, like there's not really a whole lot of players to promote here, you know, but then, so then, then what I do is I go to that magical, you know, outlet Google and you start researching every single player. And you try to find a story, you know, with them. And soon you find out this guy you never heard of from Bolivia is the number one player from Bolivia. And he plays Davis Cup for Bolivia. Well, that's something right there. Um, You know, you have uh, our winner last year was a guy named Dimitri Popko. Well, who's Dimitri Popko? Well, he's the number three player for Kazakhstan. And, um, you know, uh, you know, he plays Davis Cup for Kazakhstan and was in, you know, Madrid for the for the finals with the with the Kazakhstan um, team. And, um, you know, uh, so you have to kind of create these uh, 
stories and you, you just, you, you, you find it by Google, but then you also find it by talking to people, you know, and you just, you know, talk to the coach, talk to the player, talk to the, you know, the other players, what's the story like, what's this person like, you know, et cetera. And also, you know, from the foundation point of view, um, you know, the money that's raised through this tournament and other fundraisers, you know, goes to at-risk children in Vero Beach. So we want to be able to find, you know, kids like how did this scholarship that this kid got um, affect, affect their life? You know, uh, um, did it give them the confidence to do this, to do that, you know, to get more better grades and so forth? Um, you know, we have a great story in town, a young player named Grace uh, Levelston who's one of the top now, she's one of the top 14 and under players in, um, in, in, in the country. And, uh, you know, she came running home one day as a, you know, young girl, you know, to her mother, mommy, 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 I just got this, this postcard about a free tennis lesson with the Marty Fish Foundation. Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? And that's how she's got started in tennis was just an after school, uh, you know, uh, fitness program with the Marty Fish Children's Foundation. And now she could be, you know, a great, great player. I mean, that's obviously, you know, you don't uh, the the chances of players becoming, you know, world class players is very slim. But the most important thing, you know, with athletics at a young age is that you continue to have an uh, um, a a, a fitness related lifestyle, that you remain active. You know, it's healthy. Um, um, you're going to have a healthy body and so forth if you're, you know, able to play a little tennis uh, a couple days a week or, you know, play some basketball or play some, you know, baseball or, you know, learn to run or, you know, do push-ups or whatever. And, you know, eating a salad rather than, you know, a Popeye's, you know, hamburger or chicken. Yeah. So so teaching those kids those, uh, um, you know, healthy habits and, um, and uh, make sure that they have uh, – um, you know, long fulfilling um, lives. So, you know, going back to the story, just what, as you were talking about that, and you don't have famous players here as famous as, you know, the Serenas, but if you think about it, they had to come up with a story at the Australian Open because the story was Coco Golf, but then it turned into Sophia Kennan, whose dad came here, and here's the story came to the United States with three cents or three dollars in his back pocket, and she was, I guess, six weeks old or something like that, and that was the story, and we all followed her right through to the championship match. Um, and there's a, some marketing done by the Tennis Channel and NBC, you know, covering the or ESPN covering uh, the Australian Open. To bring it back to the marketing, you've played tennis, you've run tournaments. I, I noticed that you're running a, another tournament, the Grass Court Tournament out in Michigan, which is uh, another event that you're tournament director for. Um, you see different clubs, and, and this podcast is based around directors of tennis, how a, a department works. What when you go to a different club? What do you look at in terms of the director and the facility? That that what catches your eye and what thinks this would be a good club for me to run a tournament at? Let, let's hear some of the thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think that that's a great point because I think that a a, a, a excellent way to market a club is having an event, is having a tournament. I mean, the Boulevard where we are right now is the host of our Marty Fish tournament, and it brings people into the club. They're here. They're buying a ticket. They're having a hot dog. They're having a beer. They're enjoying it, and they may then they'll pick up a pamphlet or they'll look at the courts and they'll say, "Wow, look at look at that clinic that's going on over there." Or, "Wow, look at these programs that are going on here." And you're going to be soliciting um, memberships um, through the patrons that are coming through your door. Mm-hmm. So um, 
you know, perfect example as far as the event that uh, I ran at the Wesson Lawn Tennis Club in uh, Pontiac, Michigan. So uh, this club um, was, uh, I, I read about it in an article in the New York Times because it was the first ever grass court tennis club that had been created in the United States in like 120 years. And um, it was it was it was also a great story because it was urban renewal where the uh, the owner of the club, Bill Massey, um, he purchased an old the old beat up waterworks, uh, 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 you know, uh, building in, in Pontiac. And he transformed it into this absolutely amazingly beautiful grass court tennis clubs with 22 grass courts, a beautiful club, unbelievable clubhouse that's just uh uh, he's a he's a designer and an architect, and they have uh, old tennis ball cans rimming the bar, and you know just amazing seating and so forth. So um, I actually originally pitched him. I read this article in the New York Times. Originally pitched him to do a seniors event because I do uh, some work with the Invesco series with uh, Jim Courier's company, Inside Out Sports and Entertainment, and I pitched him an event there. Um, uh, you know, it didn't really go anywhere, uh, you know, uh, at that time, uh, but stayed in touch with Bill and I went out to visit the club and m- meet with him and just to see what it was all about and so forth and was blown away at just what an amazing club it was. And he said that I want to have a, you try to have a challenger or an ATP event here, you know, pre Wimbledon, um, you know, uh, grass court challenger or a- a- ATP event. But I told him, I said, Hey, listen, you got to start with something. You got to start, you got to do some sort of little event and just test it and see how the, how the marketplace is going to respond. You know, how is your facility going to respond to players and then just kind of build it up. So we actually created out of nowhere a- an open prize money tournament um, that we held in 2018, and uh, I uh, came up with the name the U.S. Grass Court Championships because there is no U.S. Grass Court Championships. <laughs> so hey, this was it, you know. So we did did that. We uh, the club uh, put up ten thousand dollars in um, in prize money. We had, we got a, one local sponsor. Um, we also had the the entry fees underwrite, uh, you know, the prize money mm-hmm. and so forth. Just had an open ten thousand dollar prize money tournament. Guys that are playing, you know, at the at the futures and the challenger level, they're looking for any money they can get. Their number one priority is trying to get ATP points. Their number two priority is getting money. So if they have, if they see a nice paycheck at the end of the rainbow, they're going to play. So we had four guy, I think four guys that had ATP rankings enter the tournament. We also had some college players. We had some local junior players. Um, so it was a great little mishmash of of of, of players. And the player that won it was a player named Evan Song who um, was ranked like 300 in the world at the time. Now I think he's in the top 200. He's playing challengers and he's played world team tennis and so forth. So he won, I think it was 3,500 bucks, first first prize money. Um, So it was a great advertisement for the club because not only all these players, remember two guys that came, uh, were teaching pros from Atlanta that came and they won the doubles. You know, they were blown away. They was like, hey, can we do a challenge match with your club every year or... Um, can we, you know, uh, bring members up here and do a fantasy weekend uh, for the for the year? Um, uh, we also got, uh, you know, some great publicity that I was able to generate, you know, through some of the, my channels and so forth. We got a great article on tennis.com um, about the club and the tournament, um, you know, kind of uh, promoting it as a, a nationwide um, open uh, to anyone grass court, grass court club. Yeah. Anybody should 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 join and so forth. So we got a lot of leverage um, out of that event. We got a lot of publicity. We got a lot of people through the gates, players and fans. 
and uh, just was a great advertisement for that club. So that's something that I'm looking to do at other clubs with other events. Um, you know, in some conversation with some other clubs to bring these, you know, it's, it's hard to get an ATP event. It's hard to get a WTA event. It costs a lot of money. There's only so many. It's, it's, it's difficult to do. Even on the USTA pro circuit side, um, it's, uh, there's not that many weeks available on the men's side. There's a little bit more availability for women's events, but even that, uh, it's also difficult, you know, with the timing and what, what our other events are and so forth. But uh, why not just create an open prize money event, whether it be on the USTA platform or the UTR platform, which uh, I think is a little bit easier to, to, to navigate and just raise a little, you know, get a sponsor, get some people to uh, put up some money, um, have the entry fees also kind of go into the pot for prize money. And if you get, uh, you know, $5,000, $10,000 prize money event, um, you can you have to do your P and Ls with as far as okay, how many beers are we going to sell? How many you know steak sandwiches are we going to sell? How much are we, we going to charge for tickets? You know, etc. Do a little profit and loss sheet, and you can have amazing publicity and exposure for your club um, through this event. Get some of the local players involved. You know, have them play doubles against the you know higher ranked players or college kids or so forth. And that's just I think an unbelievable way to market a club is through an event. I totally agree. I, uh, I actually uh, just blogged about this. There are so many clubs, you know, the, the discussion in, in membership circles is, is, is membership in, in clubs is, is, is declining, especially at golf clubs, um, but at tennis clubs too. And so if, if you're going to market to the community, and there are so many clubs that feel, oh, we're, you know, we're above that, we, we don't have to advertise for memberships. Well, that's not really true. You are actually advertising for memberships when you bring in a guest and you show your guest, you show your club off to your guest. You're you're actually advertising your club, and there are other ways of doing it. An event is a great one. Um, Quail Valley here, it, we had alluded to it earlier. Does the Charity Cup, and the Charity Cup is is a fantastic way to market that club, and they they garner many many memberships a year from that one event. It's it's a it's a basically a month long event with the golf, the tennis, the bridge, the mahjong. But the tennis is a major part of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, as an example, I mean, like me playing at that club, and I haven't been to Quail Valley in a couple of years. So, you know, just going through the gates, and I'm kind of like, you know, asking my buddy, like, okay, so how much does membership cost here? Yeah, exactly. You know, what do you get for it? What, what's the golf club like? You know, et cetera. So that's, that's uh, um, um, you know, a great uh, e- example uh, there. But I think the other thing as far as, like, marketing, it's like I don't want to spend money on advertising and so forth. But if you're able to get publicity – for your tournament, that's free advertising. So with every article that is in the Vero Beach Press Journal about our Marty Fish Children's uh, Foundation Tennis Championships, it says it's at the boulevard, at the boulevard, at the boulevard. So we're on the front page of the sports section every day for, you know, a week or so, and that's free publicity at the boulevard, at the boulevard, at the boulevard, at the New Canaan Racquet Club, yeah. at the Weston Lawn Tennis Club. You know, it's like that's your free publicity, and you have pictures. And starting at 10, so, starting at 12, starting at 5 for every various exactly, age. Exactly, right? exactly. Right. So uh, to wrap up, um, the, the tournament this year, the Marty Fish Tournament, starts April 20. A- April 26th through May 3rd. It's We're annually... Uh, late April, early May, every year. It's on clay courts. It kind of fits into the USTA pro circuit uh, uh, player uh, pathway and that they want to have you know clay court events in Florida at this time of year. Right. So um, that's where we are on the calendar. We love it. And, uh, you know, it gives, uh, you know, the USTA is also, and, and the player development department are, are very 
love our tournament as well because it gives them um, the uh, uh, the pro experience. I mean, more so than other other you know USDA Pro Circuit events at the fifteen thousand dollar level because you know we have the DJ, we have the fans, we have the, um, the stringing you know, the, machines I see out there. The, the the volunteer network you have is fantastic, and the seating here at the boulevard is really good too. Yeah, yeah. No, but one of the things that was very interesting was um, the uncle of one of the players that was playing in our tournament. Um, you know, came running up to me when his uh, when his nephew was playing a, a big match and said, "There's too much noise on the stadium. Can you tell him to turn it down?" You know, and I said, you know, hey, you know, this is this is what the players have to get used to. If your nephew wants to become a pro player, he's going to have to get used to this environment and so forth. So fast forward a year later or, or, or six months later, and um, he's playing in the junior U.S. Open doubles final. And there's just crowds and bands. And it was just before the U.S. Open, you know, they're all the it's before the men's final. And there's a band playing in the in the in the quad there, et cetera, in front of Arthur Ashe Stadium. And I just thought, wow, you know what? And he won the match. I'm thinking, you know, maybe that little uh, distractions that he had to put up with in Vero Beach, maybe he was a little bit more prepared for that because uh, of what he went through in our tournament. So. And uh, in the show notes, I'll have all the information. But uh, what's your website for the foundation? It's uh... MartyFishChildrensFoundation.org. And uh, on Twitter, uh, it's at Vero Futures. You can also follow at uh, Tennis Vero Beach, TennisVeroBeach.com. Um, I'm at Tennis Publisher. And my book publishing um, website is NewChapterMedia.com. Well, thanks, Randy, for being here, and thanks for being part of the podcast. And All right, Eddie, thanks. Great, great to know you for 40-some-odd years. I know, exactly. This is great, and, and I think you're doing a great thing with uh, uh, marketing um, you know, to uh, the tennis community through clubs and teaching pros because they are the ambassadors for the sport, and those are the people on the front lines that are getting people to play tennis and so forth. So, uh, so bravo for what you're doing and for all those who are listening. Uh, we all appreciate you in the tennis industry um, to keep uh, promoting um, this great sport that we love. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm your host, Ed Shanafee, and it's a pleasure bringing you every week news and views and great guests from our tennis and fitness industry. You can always reach me at Beyond the Baselines at gmail.com or by phone at the office on 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website, beyondthebaselines.com, and on our site there's a link to our Patreon page, which has even more information for you and your club and your facility in our wonderful industry. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.